Happy Martin Luther King Day, everybody. I am your host, DeAndre Johnson. This is my sports podcast, Sore Loser, and I have a lot to get into. Um, just to just cap some things off here, I just wanted to tell everybody uh, happy MLK Day. MLK, for many of the younger generation, I think don't really know too much of the history about MLK other than he was a civil rights leader and he you know, got the civil rights act um, in place in law. And you know, there's something um, about Martin Luther King a lot of people don't know about really, particularly in his younger years and his later years before his death. His younger years, just like many of us, has some growing pains to deal with. And honestly, he was not really comfortable in his own skin. Like literally, like his own skin, you know, he felt like he was too dark. He was not, you know, um, attracted enough to um, many women. You know, he was just like us when he was a teenager and a very young man. So, you know, this notion that he always had faith in Christ and, you know, did the right thing. He had to go through his trial tribulation too to become the leader that he was and the man that he was. And that's something that I wish a lot of schools would take the time and teach the students that, you know, Martin Luther King, he's a heroic figure in this country, not only in this country, but in this world. And also that he was just like one of us, that he had to go through some growing pain, trial tribulation to become a great man that he was in this world. And also through his later years where he always preached nonviolence, but Honestly, he was saying that I cannot continue to tell my people that, you know, be nonviolence. Do not protect yourself when the enemy continue to attack you. You have to protect yourself. And, you know, he was kind of leaning more into what Malcolm X tried to preach to many of his followers. But it's not just being violence, but, you know, you got to protect yourself and your family. And, you know, nonviolence could go so far when you're being attacked, when you're being terrorized, you know, each and every day. And that's something that they don't really tell you a lot about when it comes to Martin Luther King. You know, it, it's kind of come watered down as the years progress, but that's something that, you know, at least for my kids and whoever I could, you know, talk to or teach, I will continue to like, you know, emphasize that. And, you know, make that well known that Martin Luther King, he was just more than what the school has been teaching our kids so far. But nonetheless, I hope you guys enjoyed this day. It's a black people holiday, of course. I'm not ashamed to say that. And we get to some sports. And this weekend of sports was great, except for the UFC fights. And I'm not just talking about the McGregor and the Cowboy fight. I'm just talking about pretty much all the fights. And it was Disappointed to me and when it comes to the UFC, I'm not gonna sit up here and try to tell you that I'm an expert I will however tell you that I know fighting and I know who got it who don't for sure and There were a lot of fighters who train and You know they at their top physical shape But when it comes to fighting, it's all about mentality You can be the biggest strongest fastest person in the world. You can be you don't have that mentality to go out there and, you know, kick ass. And most likely you're going to lose. But when it comes to the UFC fighting, I want to start off with the Aleska, Kamir, and Justin Ledette fight. I think Justin Ledette had 
dominated that whole fight. Now, the judges nowadays, when it comes to boxing and UFC, I think there's a lot of politics go, goes on into this. And when it comes to Aleska Kamir, um, he's a European, but he fights out of Cleveland, Ohio. And the Kamir did not really get into rhythm until the third round of the fight. But Justin Ledette had dominated every leg kick, every punch that Kamir had threw at Ledette. Ledette ate it up. It would have had no real effects on him. And he really dominated the fight. And I don't understand how, through unanimous decision, that Alexa Kamara had beat Justin Ledette. Now, if anybody had watched this fight, I'm pretty sure I had a lot of people that will agree with me on this. Ledette dominated the fight. When you, when you go round to round in a fight, it's all about who dominate the fight. It's not about who throw the most punches and who connect the most. It's all about domination. It's all about did, did this person actually, you know, make the other fighter weak? Did he break him down? Did he have any type of impact on the way his opponent is fighting him? And I, did, I feel like Aleska Kamir did not have any type of impact on Justin Ledet. He had some good combination late in the third round but I thought it was kind of a little bit too late but that dominated and I was disappointed in that fight and other fights Sabina Mazo and J.J. Aldrich I thought J.J. Aldrich had dominated that fight as well but Mazo had got the unanimous decision well not the unanimous decision but she won 2-1 to one. and J.J. she did a great job. She got a little tired, got a little winded in the third round, but she was the most dominant fighter. And for some reason, Sabrina, Sabina Mazo, she won. She just won by one point. And I think that wasn't fair at all. I think J.J. Aldridge, she was, you know, aggressive and she um, was very strong, have her in the clinch and she, you know, did a lot of submission moves and got a lot of clean hits on Sabina. But yet she still lost. I'm not getting that. I don't know what fight the judges was watching. Another fight uh, I thought that was pretty good for a change was Diego Ferreira and Anthony Pettis. I think Diego Ferreira, he's a Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu fighter. And he got him into a real a rear naked choke hole to have Pettis mitt. And I think, honestly, that was the best fight of the night. Diego Ferreira and Anthony Pettis. So I would like to see more Diego Ferreira and see who's going to be his next challenger. Also, we have Maurice Green versus Russian Alexei Olenek. Olenek had made Green tap out. Maurice Green did all he can to fight off the submission by Alexei. But Alexei, as you can tell, he's been in so many fights. He's 58, 13, and 1. And he was gassed, but something about them Russians, I don't know. They just, they will fight. They will fight you until the very end. And you won't, you won't tire them out, I guess. Like, he was tired, don't get me wrong. But this guy, he was very resilient. Linda was very resilient. Maurice Green, he was 6'7", 245 pounds. He had a length, but not the strength as Alexi Olenek. Then... The Holly Holm, Holly Holm, excuse me, Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington fight. Very disappointing. There's a reason why Raquel Pennington, she's only 10 and 9 in her UFC career. 
and Holly Holm, she's a much different fighter. She's very intimidating. There was no no type of lipid fat on that body of hers. She was just cut up, just vicious looking. And that's probably the reason why Raquel Pennington didn't really believe in her moves. She was trying to, you know, prolong this fight, draw it out, hoping that she could get some points, steal some points, and get some victory. But Holly Holmes, she was the aggressor. She fight in a different style. She, you know, used all her traits, all her moves. She was just not a one-trick pony, like many people try to make her out to be with her nice spinning leg kicks. But Holly Holm did a great job getting in Raquel Pennington close, clinching her, and Pennington, she was just playing defense the whole time. And it was a, it was a sorry-ass fight, in all honesty, because Raquel Pennington didn't give Holly Holm any type of competition. None whatsoever. So, there's a lot of work for Raquel Pennington, but I, I could tell that she was a little bit intimidated by Holly Holm as she came out through the introduction and she was ready to go. And you could tell that Holly Holm, she's going to be very difficult to beat going into the future because, once again, it seemed like in this fight, she had, you know, progressed and she's come very diverse in her fighting style. And nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, this is the fight that really, really made me mad. For all the people out there that spent $75, $80 for the pay-per-view, especially if you're a bar owner, hope you got your money back. Hope you made some profit out of this because there was some BS. It really was. There was some real BS with this fight. Conor McGregor had knocked out Donald Cerrone in 40 seconds. Now, Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone, this fight was leading up to this big main event for like three, four months. Rightly so, it should be a very hype-up fight that everybody should go and watch. But when we build these type of fights up, we're expecting a real good fight. Even if it lasts for like one full round. One full round if it lasts that long. We could be satisfied and say it was a good fight. But 40 seconds? Really? Donald Cerrone, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, is a professional fighter. A very skillful fighter. And he went in there and basically just laid down. He showed little to none resistance. Which questioned me about this fight. Was it real? And I'm not ashamed to say it, but it's my opinion. I think this fight was rigged. If you have not been paying attention to this world, particularly in this country, everything is surrounded by money. Everything. If it wasn't, then we wouldn't have legalization of gambling through um, many of our states here in this country. We wouldn't have the fan duel. We wouldn't have... Um, Fantasy DraftKings. We will have like, you know, so many of these other type of sites. Vegas, obviously. But there was money to be made in this fight. And it seemed like Cowboy Cerrone, he got his check. So little to none resistant in the fight. And Conor McGregor is now 
on top of the world in USC. And leading up to it, it was very interesting with the Conor McGregor story. You know, he, he just had a child. He, he come back drinking. He been training. He seems, you know, more humble with himself. And all that stuff is great. All that stuff is great. And you know that in the stands in Vegas, there were more McGregor fans than Cowboy fans in Vegas. And we all know that Conor McGregor, pretty much from the fan point of view, was the favorite. That's who the fan wants to win. And Cerrone just came out there like a day ago. And what really made me mad in that fight was McGregor came out there aggressive, as usual. He missed on the left hook, but caught Cerrone with a little knee into the um, jaw or the face. Not that much damage. Nay, he got a grab on Cerrone, got him in the clinch. And McGregor showed above him four straight times. But what really made me mad is that once he showed about you not only once, but twice, and that second one really caught you, why would you continue to wrestle with this man and let him shoulder bump you number three, number four times? Then not only that, you are able to break out of it, then did not see the kick coming. Like he clearly got a clean shot on you when he did his little sweeping kick. And that disoriented Cerrone, obviously. And that was all she wrote. McGregor got on top of him and started beating on him. And I was thinking that Cerrone, he's a veteran fighter. This was his 50th career match. A very skillful fighter. And this guy just sit over here and just looked like he didn't have no chance and looked like he did not belong in the same ring with Conor McGregor. And what made me mad is in the, um, really the post-conference interview where he respect McGregor as a fighter, but talking about he caught him off guard. How he caught you off guard? How did he caught you off guard? Again, I'm not a UFC expert, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not. But I watch enough Conor McGregor fights where I know that this man come out swinging. He come out aggressive at all time. How did that catch you off guard? Did you even study your opponent? And it's hard to imagine that Cerrone did not study McGregor. How he caught you off guard with his aggressiveness? Come on now, really? Like, I'm not buying that. Just say, you know, you got paid. I got paid. Dana White won me basically throw this match. So, Conor McGregor and his fan base could generate more money for UFC. And that's all to it. And this is nothing new because it also go on in professional boxing. It goes on in WWE. And that's why gambling, ladies and gentlemen, could be very, very dangerous, especially in today's age. Very dangerous because these guys, they not only interested in making you money, but they also interested in making themselves more money. And even if they have to like throw a fight or cover points or not cover points, they will do it. 
in exchange for what? For more money in their pocket. And most likely tax-free. Because many sports, you cannot sub here and like, you know, put your name um on a bet. You can't. But somebody else can. Somebody in your entourage could do that for you. And you spent the money. Tax free. That's why this fight was very disappointing, and that's why I come to the conclusion that I believe it was rigged. And I know a lot of people saying that as a sports, a sports journalist that that was very irresponsible for you to say. And I'm like, no, it's not irresponsible for me to say because if you're a sports fan, you know when somebody is actually competing. You actually know when somebody's giving it all. You actually know when somebody just getting flat out beat. And you just know that one competitor is just simply better than the other competitor. You just know that for sure. In this fight, Cowboy Cerrone is a much better fighter than what the hell we just saw Saturday night. Much better fighter than that. And for the nerds to say that he caught you off guard and you allowed him to get some good clean shots on you. Like McGregor don't intimidate nobody. They know he's an Irishman. They know he's very aggressive and could take you know a lot of hits. Everybody knows that. That's nothing new. That's nothing to intimidate, be intimidated by. None whatsoever. Like Cowboy Cerrone is too good of a fighter to get beat up like that within 40 seconds. Show little to no resistance. Too good of a fighter. Too good of a fighter to get beat like that. And ladies and gentlemen, that's all for this segment. Really. Because talking about even more, man, really makes me more mad. And I don't know what the world is coming to when it comes to sports, but sports is changing. It's not what it once used to be. It's all money-driven. When at the beginning, it was all about, you know, coming together and just, like, competing. And you could like somebody and you could not like somebody, but you... Everybody enjoy you know competing, and I think nobody don't want to do that anymore. Everybody have very have more interest in other things, whether it's endorsements, whether it's extra money, fame, but nobody don't really want to actually earn it. And as far as the business side of things, when it comes to these leagues like the UFC, the NBA, NFL, they all about their money too. So. I cannot necessarily blame them if they want to continue to expand their business and make more profit because who's making them that money? Not really just the players, but the fans. And that's why I wish the fans get more educated on what the hell is going on and start holding a lot of these athletes and ownership more accountable for their for, for the way they handle the sports. I could care. Let me be very clear. I won't say I could care less about a lot of their off-the-field issues, their legal issues that they got going on outside of sports. But I am more worried about the product that they are putting out there for the sports that I have named. That is what I'm more worried about. And I think that fans need to start holding these leagues and athletes more accountable when it comes to that. We all get all sidetracked about who this person is dating, who this person is dealing with, who this person um, 
got arrested, what why he got arrested for, and you know domestic violence and all that stuff. Not saying none of those stuff is not really important, but it shouldn't be more important than what goes on inside the playing field. And that is a big issue I have right now in today's sports, and that's why I root for guys who all about the game, such as you know the Patrick Mahomes, such as you know Richard Sherman for the 49ers, because yes. I'm pretty sure they are more than just, you know, athletes. But when it comes to the game itself and when they're on that field, they're all about business. And that's why they are in the Super Bowl. And that's coming up next. And my podcast called Sword Losers. I'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Sport Podcast, Sore Loser. I'm your host, DeAndre Johnson. It's been a while, wow, weekend. Just got done talking about the UFC fight. If you guys was listening, you know how I feel, especially about the main event. I feel like it was rigged. I know a lot of you could sit here and say, like, that's very irresponsible for me to say, but, I mean, I call it like I see it, in all honesty. You know, I know everybody wants to say, like, you know, what proof do you have, but, I mean, where proof is that there are some agreements that just happen confidentially and nobody want to get a chance to know about it. So it is what it is. That's why I call it. That's why I see it. And that's my opinion. Moving on. We want to talk about the NFL championship games. First off was the AFC championship between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans. The Kansas City Chiefs looked like they were in trouble to begin with once again. And I figure that if the Titans get a double-digit lead, I think it will be very hard for Kansas City to come back. But that was not the case, as Patrick Mahomes had reminded everybody that I was league MVP last season. I am still that guy. I was just not just, you know, a one-trick pony or just a one-year wonder. Which I know he won't be a one-year wonder, but, you know, a lot of people say that he won't ever have that type of season again in his career. But it's not about having that type of season in, in his career once again. It's about can he elevate his team to victory when he counted the most, particularly from last postseason when the Chiefs should have won the game, but it was an outside on D4 that gave Tom Brady another chance to redeem himself after the previous play where Tom Brady threw a game-ending interception. But... The Patriots got another chance and capitalized on it. But in this game versus the Tennessee Titans, Patrick Mahomes had did it all. He led the Chiefs in rushing and passing and, of course, you know, in touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes went 23 of 35 for 294 yards for three touchdown passes, including a carry three yards and a rushing touchdown, which his rushing touchdown was a 27-yard run where nobody did not really – Get a hand on him, man. Tremaine Brock, who had a terrible game yesterday, just reached. He did not want to tackle. I guess it was too cold out there for him. And Sammy Watkins had led all the Chiefs receiver with seven receptions, uh, 114 yards, and a touchdown. And this is what the Chiefs was hoping for for Sammy Watkins. They knew that Kelsey and Hill was going to be the main targets, of course. But Sammy Watkins coming out of Clemson, was a number one receiver. He was a number one threat. 
but we was questioning about does he have the heart to play and be the number one receiver. And to, in this game, he was the number one receiver for sure, even though Tyreek Hill had four catches for 54 yards and two scores. But Sammy Watkins had came through in much-needed clutch moments for the Kansas City Chiefs. So going through the, sum, the scoring summary um, for, ten, for the game, actually, first quarter it started off, 3-0 with a Greg Joseph 30-yard field goal for the Tennessee Titans. Then Derrick Henry had an easy four-yard run to put Tennessee up 10-0 in the first quarter. Things was looking very good for Tennessee. Derrick Henry finished the game with 19 carries, 69 yards, and a rush touchdown. Then Tennessee finally got on board with an eight-yard touchdown pass, which was a Tyree Hill motion, and Patrick Mahomes just tossed the ball four to Tyree Hill, and Tyree Hill did the rest of the work. Eight-yard score. 10-7, Tennessee. Second quarter, Dennis Kelly, the offensive lineman, had a one-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Tannehill. It was a very clever play by Arthur Smith, the offense coordinator for Tennessee Titans. He had thought, everybody thought that Derrick Henry was going to get the ball, which I thought so too, but it was a very clever play action, and the uh, Tennessee tight end lineman, Dennis Kelly, has snuck out there and caught the pass. Great play called by Arthur Smith. And this was the game changer right here to me, ladies and gentlemen. In the second quarter, Tyree Hill had beat his one-on-one man coverage and scored a 20-yard touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes, which decreased the Tennessee Titans lead by three, 17-14 Tennessee. Then a two-minute drill, Patrick Mahomes to the team down the field and cap it off with a 27-yard run, which put Kansas City up 21-17 at halftime. No score in the third quarter. Going to the fourth quarter, Damian Williams has scored off a three-yard run to increase the lead 28-17. And Sidney Watkins had just blown the game away, put the coffin in the nail with a 60-yard pass from Patrick Mahone off of a blown coverage. And Tennessee had the final score of the game with Anthony Ferkser with a 22-yard pass from Brian Tannehill. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how the score became 35-24 at the end. And congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs going into the Super Bowl down in Miami. And I have a lot of friends, a lot of friends, a lot of classmates I know through my time at Kansas State. And they are very ecstatic for the Kansas City Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years. It was going to happen sooner or later. Everybody thought it may happen with Alex Smith. But once they had drafted Patrick Mahomes and saw what Patrick Mahomes could do on the practice field as a rookie, we all, I mean, not all of us, but the coach staff of the Kansas City Chiefs knew that they have a better chance with Mahomes getting to the Super Bowl rather than Alex Smith. And that was a no-brainer by Andy Reid on what direction he wanted to take this franchise when it comes to his quarterback. In this game, Tennessee was dominating on both ends. And, you know, the eight-yard touchdown pass um, to Tyreek Hill. That was Tyreek Hill and his speed. And, you know, with Tyreek Hill, nobody's not going to really catch him pretty much. And it was some clever offensive calls by Arthur Smith and the Tennessee Titans to begin with. But however, going to the second touchdown of the game for Tyreek Hill, I think that's where the game has changed. 
because Tennessee, after um, I believe it was Logan Ryan, that got beat by Tyree Hill for that 20-yard touchdown pass. Tennessee Titans defense stopped playing conservative. They was playing zone. They was rushing three guys. And I don't understand why in the world the defense coordinator does that to quarterbacks such as Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, um, Tom Brady, Peyton Manny. Why you guys play zone? They are too talented, too smart of quarterbacks for you guys to play zone. They could fit the ball through the needle. They know where their guys going to be at. They practice this all the time. You have to continue to get pressure on them. And yes, maybe yeah, sometimes you are going to get beat when you bring pressure on, on those type of quarterbacks. But those are your best chances instead of those quarterbacks sitting there for like 5-10 seconds in the backfield. And we all know that doesn't matter how good of a corner or a safety that you are, you cannot come here and cover somebody for 10 seconds and expect, you know, to get good results. Everybody knows that. And that's what they allowed Patrick Mahomes to do. And Patrick Mahomes, credit to him, when he seen the pressure coming, he started taking off. He started using his legs a little bit more. He didn't sit here and just, you know, want to be a drop-back quarterback. You know, he continued to look down the field. And when his time is up, he go out and get as many yards as he can. And he did a great job with that. He got in bounds. He had slide a couple of times. And he did what necessary for his team to win. And that's a true competitor. And that's a true leader right there in Patrick Mahomes. And going into the third quarter, I think um, Tennessee, they couldn't get anything going on, uh, particularly in the running game, because they were stacking the box. It's cold outside. It was like 15 degrees with a actual feel. It feels like 5 degrees out there, according to the um, forecast in Kansas City. So it was very cold. and only got colder as the game prolonged. So therefore, the Tennessee Titans, it get cold in Nashville sometimes, but not that cold like it is in Kansas City. They wasn't ready. They wasn't prepared to play tackle football, particularly in the second half, because it was so cold outside. And those type of weather conditions have a lot of effects on the opponent. And the fourth quarter, Andy Reid, he had mixed it up a little bit. He had some great runs with Damian Williams. They spread out the Tennessee offense and, you know, did some stretch runs and Williams was getting some good yards out there. You know, Patrick Mahomes led a team in Russia on that day. You know, Dan Williams, he, he could run the ball. And that's something that Andy Reid going to have to commit to, especially when we play against San Francisco 49ers. Going to have to make him play honest. And Sammy Watkins, as I mentioned earlier, he came through. Finally, he came through. I was questioning about whether he had the heart to actually play this game, but... He showed us otherwise, and I think this will be a huge boost for Sammy Watkins and his confidence going into the Super Bowl with the game that he had. He had to have one of these games for the Kansas City Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl and need to have you know a similar game like this if they want to win it, for sure. And you know for the Tennessee Titans, Derrick Henry, he said that he wished he could have done more. He felt like he could have done more. And they don't really feature him in the past game as much. But that's that's not his fault. Kansas City, they got the game into the place where they wanted. And that's for Ryan Tannehill to beat them. For Ryan Tannehill to get into 
a shootout with Patrick Mahomes. And Tannehill, he, he didn't have confidence in this game. And you could look at his stats and say, well, he went 21 for 31, 209 yards, two touchdowns. And, you know, it was a pretty good stat line, but that's why I encourage people to watch the game instead of going by the stats because there were moments in the game where if Tannehill could got rid of the ball, if he could scramble and make some plays down the field, it will, we'll have a different conversation. We will. Leading the Titans in receptions was Chris Davis. He had five catches for 65 yards. But A.J. Brown, who I thought was going to be the key in this game if Tennessee was going to win, he only had three catches for 51 yards off of six targets. So Kansas City really had key on A.J. Brown. And I think A.J. Brown's going to be very special, a very special receiver in this league for years to come, really. But I wish I had saw more of him. I wish I actually saw more of Adam Humphreys, who they activated yesterday for this game. But they didn't really put him in the game too often. But I thought in the first half, he had really got them some key third downs, including a fourth down and two call where Tennessee had went for it. And Adam Humphrey came out the backfield, set in the zone, and converted the fourth down play for a first down. And I thought they could use him more often. But, you know, Arthur Smith, he's a young office coordinator. That's something that he's going to look at the film and say, like, you know what, that was my fault. I probably overthought it. When it came to Adam Humphreys, I should have used him more instead of waiting late in the game to finally get him out there on the field for consecutive plays. So Tennessee Titans, that's nothing to like really hang their head down on. They played a good game. They had a great finish to their season. And something that Stephen A. Smith has said that was very interesting, and I'm kind of, you know, dumbfounded that I had really thought about this, but if Tom Brady should leave the New England Patriots, Tennessee Titans are the team that he should honestly consider. I think that would probably be the best fit. You got your number one receiver in A.J. Brown, Chris Davis, no slouch. I like Tajay Sharp, Adam Humphreys. He's, you know, a guy that's very similar to Wes Welker and Julian Edelman, both whom Tom Brady had thrown the ball to for many years. And Tennessee will be, you know, a wreck in the AFC. And the AFC South is not a strong conference. I'm sorry, a strong division as it is. So that's that's no question whatsoever for Tom Brady to go there and succeed with the Tennessee Titans. And going to the next game, ladies and gentlemen, this was dominated, one side domination by, by the San Francisco 49ers. They dominated the Green Bay Packers as I expected. I saw a lot of Packers fans through here in St. Petersburg, Florida. They all came out and, you know, they have every right to cheer for their team, but they should know that they didn't have a chance. And not only they didn't have a chance, but really Aaron Rodgers did not play his best game. Once again, you can sit here and look at the stats and say, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers did his part. He, he played, you know, pretty well. Yeah, he went 34 for 39, 326 yards, two touchdowns, um, two interceptions, and some people say, you know, the first interception was on the receiver and the second one, you know, Aaron Rodgers just, you know, just took a chance down the field. The game was over with anyway. But however, 
if you actually watch the game from the beginning to the end, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he missed some plays. His offensive line wasn't good enough. And I knew that offensive line wasn't good enough. That offensive line has been average all year long. That offensive line had actually been average the past three, four years. Luckily, that this season, Green Bay Packers did have a favorable schedule. They really did. And they also had a running game in Aaron Jones that protected Aaron Rodgers. They also had a defense that protected Aaron Rodgers this year. And that's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But when it came down to it, you know, there were some throws by Aaron Rodgers where it's like, ah, you could have made that throw. That's a routine throw that you usually would make. But he was getting pressure all game long. And when the team was driving, particularly in the second quarter, they were driving down the field to score on San Francisco. Aaron Rodgers just, I don't know, he fell asleep. He fumbled the ball in the second quarter. And the San Francisco 49ers had recovered and went down the field and basically put the nail in the coffin going into halftime. But I'm not trying to get ahead of myself going down with a scoring summary. First quarter, Raheem Moster, who had a big game, big, big time game. He started off with a 36-yard touchdown run to put San Francisco up 7-0. Second quarter, Robbie Go, I wish the Bears still would have him. Well, we wouldn't be talking about kickers the past three years. He had a 54-yard field goal. He's good as go. 10-0 up San Francisco. Next possession for San Francisco, Raheem Moster with a 9-yard run to put San Francisco up 17-0. His second of the day, Robbie Gold with a minute and 57 seconds left, had a 27-yard field goal, um, put San Francisco up 20-0. Then Raheem Moster capped it off after Aaron Rodgers fumbled the ball. He had an 18-yard run to put up San Francisco 27-0. And I want to go back, actually, when Aaron Rodgers fumbled the ball, that's when Robert Gold had kicked his 27-yard field goal to put San Francisco up 20-0. Then it was the interception on the next Packers possession that gave San Francisco good field position, and Raheem Moster went up, eight, went up for an 18-yard run to put up the 49ers, 27-0. Sorry about that. Third quarter, the Packers finally got on board. In their first possession of the second half, Aaron Jones had a nine-yard pass by Aaron Rodgers. Decreased the 49 lead to 20, 27-7. Raheem Moster, once again, with a, his fourth touchdown run of the game, put San Francisco up 34-7. and This was getting out of hand. Fourth quarter, very beginning of the fourth quarter, with 14.35 left, Aaron Jones had a one-yard run. Two-point conversion had failed. San Francisco still lead 34-13. Jace Sternberger caught an eight-yard pass from Aaron Rodgers, and the San Francisco lead now decreased 34-20. It became a game, a two-possession game. Then Rocky Gold had made it a three-possession game with a 42-yard field goal, and that's how the game ended with a 37-20 lead, excuse me, 37-20 win by the San Francisco 49ers. And San Francisco 49ers had dominated this game from the beginning to the end. Jimmy Garoppolo had the fourth fewest pass attempt in a victory, in the victory in the championship round, in the conference championship round, 
in league history. He only threw the ball eight times, six foot eight, 77 yards, but the 49er offense is the best offensive line this year. Raheem Mostert carried the ball 29 times, 220 yards, and four touchdowns. 220 yards was the second most in a conference championship game ever by a running back. Who, who's number one? Eric Dickerson with 248 yards. And their lead receiver was no one other than Debo Samuel with two catches, 46 yards. And De- Debo Samuel also had some good runs. He rushed the ball twice for long games, including a 32-yard run where he had finished off Trey, Tremont Williams. Injury note, Tevin Coleman finished the game with six carries, 21 yards, but it seemed like he had a sprained shoulder. We'll learn more about that later on today and see what his stats would be for the Super Bowl. But if you're the San Francisco 49ers, you got to be feeling real good because you're very deep when it comes to the running back position. And Raheem Mostert this year has been their best running back all year long. And the scary part about San Francisco 49ers, George Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, who didn't even catch a pass, they have not been used all postseason. They have not been used, and that's the scary part when it comes to this Super Bowl matchup. Kansas City Chiefs going to have to find a way to game plan for these two. They know their capabilities, but you cannot sit here and look at them from the two games that the 49ers have played this postseason and see what Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle are doing because they have not been used pretty much because they've been dominant running the ball. Their offensive line has been very dominant run blocking. And Jimmy Garoppolo, you cannot take it easy on him because he's only throwing the ball a few times. But he's a very capable passer and he could, you know, go toe-to-toe with anybody as we have seen versus the New Orleans Saints when they went down the road and they beat the Saints and he put up 45-plus points against the New Orleans Saints versus Drew Brees. So that's not a question whether Jim Garoppolo could actually throw the ball 20, 30, 40 times. He can. But Cal Shanahan, he learned his lessons when he was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. He went with strength. He continued to pound the ball. He continued to let them big boys get out front, hit the second level, go get some linebackers, go get some safeties, and continue to dominate. And that's it. That was all. That's that was all Cal Shanahan had to do, pretty much. Now for the Packers, that 13-3 season, a fluke. Big time fluke. Give credit to Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones. He had a tremendous year. He had over 1,800 yards from scrimmage. And I think that he'll be, you know, the back of the future for the Green Bay Packers. Rightfully so. But he was some very pedestrian out there. He had 12 carries, 56 yards. Didn't really do too much. Devontae Adams did his thing. He had nine catches for 138 yards. Jimmy Graham. Only had four catches, 59 yards. And I knew that if the Packers was going to win this game, they definitely need Jimmy Graham. And Jimmy Graham did show up about time versus Seattle Seahawks. But in this game, with Richard Sherman as a leader of that defense, yeah, they was not going to let Jimmy Graham get anything. Jimmy Graham 
you know, he just he he just didn't really have the heart to be that guy, to be that number one guy. You know, he was playing with a lot of good offensive weapons in New Orleans, and they didn't really cover him. He had a lot of single coverage, but you ask him to just go out there and just get six catches and 100 yards in his sleep, he's not that guy. And I think he never really had been that guy. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. You know, Jim Ground going to play for another couple of years and has some, you know, big-time games, but I think he really underachieved. Throughout his career, he's an overrated tight end at this point of his career. Al Lazar only had three catches for 36 yards. And Jay Sternberger, I don't know where he has been, but he's a pretty good tight end at Ohio State. He's only a rookie. So, you know, that's a good note to finish the season for Jay Sternberger, who could be another feature target for Aaron Rodgers. But when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, this was his best chance to get back to the Super Bowl. I'm not seeing it for the rest of his career with him getting back to the Super Bowl. But if you're Aaron Rodgers, you cannot feel good about this. Then again, nobody ain't really give you that much of a chance to beat this 49ers squad. This 49ers squad is something else. They're on a completely different playing level than many teams in the NFL. And far as the Super Bowl matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs and the 49ers, there's a lot to analyze, but my early prediction right now is the San Francisco 49ers because defense win championships. The uh, Rich Sherman, I cannot I cannot count him out. I cannot go against him because he done it before. He played he's playing some of his best ball of his career right now. For the San Francisco 49ers. He's a leader of man. And I think that he's another coach on the field that will put his guys in place to defend Patrick Mahomes in that Kansas City offense. And as far as that defensive line for the 49ers, I knew that was going to be a key matchup in this um in this um conference championship game. Because the Packers offense line is is average, maybe below average. I don't want to go that far because they are a 13-3 team. They had ran the ball exceptionally well, but if you ask them to like pass block 35, 40 times out of the game versus that defensive line, they're going to lose the majority of those battles because they are not that good. But the 49ers defensive line are that great. Those are some big boys. They are athletic and they are long, and they get back there. So, therefore... Kansas City going to be one-dimensional, and that's going to make the 49ers' secondary job so much easy. We all know Tyree Hill is a world-speed burning, but unlike Tennessee, the 49ers, they are going to have a safety back at all times. They are actually going to be physical with Tyree Hill. They are going to be physical with St. Watkins. They are even going to be physical with Travis Kelsey, and that's something that I believe that's the weakness of Travis Kelsey. You get real physical with him in the beginning of the game, you can take him out easily. You can take him out the pitcher real easily and make Patrick Mahomes look to Simi Watkins, to Demarcus Robinson, and Cole Hardman. And not saying that they are not capable receivers, but you know that he really wants to give the ball to his big tight end. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a very, very 
entertaining matchup. They got the battle of the tight ends between Kelsey and Kittle. You got the battle of, you know, two young quarterbacks in Garoppolo and Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs defense, they played pretty well. They played better this season, but they are not an elite defense. And I guarantee you that their defensive line, they are not they are not gonna match up very well versus that 49ers offensive line. And that's just the truth. And if you have watched this postseason in the NFL, you will see that what's the most important position on the field? It's not the quarterback, it's the offensive line. And you see the success that Ryan Tannehill and Garoppolo had this postseason. They didn't have a lot of success by throwing the ball a lot of times. They had a lot of success because they made throws when they need to make throws, and that offensive line did their job. They ran the ball. They controlled the game. They created a hole. They gave the quarterback time to pass the ball when needed to. They did their job. They did what they supposed to have done. The defensive line, the second most important position on the field, they had the 49ers defensive line. They was getting penetration. They was able to run they could run stop you they can pass rush you they didn't have to call main blitz they didn't have to call you know many zones they could rush for and get back there within three seconds and that's why they are in the super bowl right now that's my times ladies and gentlemen uh hopefully coming soon i'll have a special guest he's a tennis coach and this is Mo Robinson out of St. Petersburg, Florida. And we're gonna talk about some tennis. Tennis is a sport that I'm slowly more getting into. I am familiar with the sport, but however, as far as like the players and as far as the skill and what it takes to become an elite tennis player, I am learning it from no other than one of the best tennis coach in Mo Robinson. Well, that's my time, ladies and gentlemen. This is my sports podcast. Sword Loser, I am your host, DeAndre Johnson. You can find this podcast on Apple, on Spotify, on Google, Overcast. You can find me, follow me on Twitter at Dr. Media, and also on Facebook, DeAndre Johnson. This is my time. Happy MLK Day. Love and peace.